Hello, the scripture reading for today is from John 16, verses 16 through 33. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there are basically two different kinds of people in the world. Um... This sounds simplistic and overgeneralized. This ought to be good. So there are two kinds of people in the world. Um, there are those kinds of people who set their clocks to what time actually is, right? So there are those folks who allow their clocks to accurately represent reality. And then there are those who set their clocks five to ten minutes fast. Those in here, you know which one of those people you are, okay? Now, most of you may be wondering, who in their right mind puts their clocks five to 10 minutes fast? Or maybe I'm projecting what I think sometimes. Um, there is a reason, and let me lay it out for you, okay? If someone is prone to being late to certain functions or activities, they may find themselves going to their car and setting their clock within their car five to 10 minutes fast so that when they get to their car and they're running behind, they look at their clock and they go, oh dear, I'm so late. 
And then for a moment of fabricated relief, they think to themselves, ah, but my clock is five to ten minutes fast. I'm not that late. It could be much worse. Now, some of you may wonder, who is inviting this kind of madness into their life? You know who you are. I won't point you out, okay? But here's what I want to observe. We have extraordinary ability to both be manipulated by and to manipulate time. Time's weird. And I kind of nerded out on this, friends. I just spent way too much time. There's a lot that I'm not going to share this morning, which I know many of you are happy about. But um, when we think about time, this is what maybe some of you are curious about the green bag. It's not just a sign of spring coming. But uh, when we think about time, we often think of time like a ruler, okay? Um, it's very linear. It has this progression to it. You're moving on in time. There's no going back. There's no really moving forward. There's just the future, the past, and the ever-moving present. We often think of time like a ruler, especially here in the West. And that is one perspective of time. But there's also another aspect to time, and that's how we experience time. How we experience time is way more like a slinky. Hmm? Some of you are like, ooh, a slinky. Um, versus a ruler. Now, what do I mean here? Okay, so a slinky kind of moves and it shapes. Although it stays the same length, it can be extended. The metal itself is the same length, right? But it can be extended or shortened. Now, there are these two particular kinds of time. One, we would say, when we talk about more the ruler kind of dynamic, it's the minutes, it's the hours, it's the days, the weeks, the months, the years. This is the forward momentum of time. We can often think of this as objectively the movement of time, the objective movement of time. Regardless of how you experience it, time is moving forward. And we often think of time this way, and we try to organize our lives around the objective nature of time because it gives us a sense of control. It allows you to tame what feels untamable, the movement of time, the movement of life, the growth of you as an organism, the growth of surrounding the surrounding world, the movement of history, on and on. But there's this other, more subjective aspect of time, which is way more wild, way more untamable. And, and I, think, I think everyone in here knows and has experienced this kind of duality, these two aspects of time. And they really have to do with how we experience life. For example, when you experience pain or pressure, you experience the subjective nature of time. Time tends to slow down in pain, doesn't it? It slows down. And there are dynamics there where your brain is working overdrive in the midst of crises and all of these different dynamics. Yes, yes. But time tends to slow down or expand Yes, in the midst of pressures and phones and, you know, you're thinking, that phone is going off, i got to get it now. Time slows down, right? <laughs> but when you're experiencing pleasure, what happens to time? It sprints. It goes into the background. Let me give you two examples. When you are getting, I don't know about you, I love a good massage. Okay, so if you're getting an hour-long massage, all right, you're getting an hour-long massage, you, you smell the incense, you hear the calming music that's coming from someone's synthesizer somewhere, right? Um, they made it in the back room. I don't know. I don't care. It feels great. And a massage therapist is doing the work. They say it's a 60-minute massage. Mm -mm. 
it feels like five minutes, right? You're like, you're done? That's what I paid for. It felt like five minutes. Okay. The opposite extreme. The moment pain enters or someone you care about is experiencing pain. You have a friend who's in an emergency, crying out, screaming, longing for recovery. You call the ambulance. Five minutes feels like what? An eternity. This is the subjective nature of time. It tends to shrink. It tends to grow. Even though objectively, five minutes is still five minutes. How you experience it is drastically different. When you're experiencing pleasure, time goes into the background. You completely forget about it. You lose track of time, we say. But when you're in pain, you can't help but stare at the clock, watching the seconds, hoping they move just a little bit faster towards their, their, their destination. And, and, and when you're in the midst of pain, this is where we experience the psalmist's cry, How long, O Lord? It's not when the harvest is in full, their kids are all healthy, and they're like, how long, oh Lord, will you give me enough food to eat? How long, oh Lord, will you keep my family healthy? No, we don't ask those questions. In pleasure, you're not even paying attention to time. Instead, it's, I could sing of the Lord forever. It's like suddenly time just becomes this amorphous thing that just goes on because, oh, I could do this. I could stay here forever. But when you're in pain, you start asking, when's the next thing? And I think in the midst of quite a confusing text, actually, the disciples, at the heart of what they're asking, when they're going after this little while, they're wanting wanting to know how long, O Lord. You said sorrow's coming. You said grief is coming. You said pain is coming. How long? It may be objectively one time, but I don't know. I don't know how, and here's the deal. They've learned a lot about Jesus walking with him over these past three or so years. And one thing they know about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't fit our timetable. He doesn't fit our timeline. He doesn't fit our structures. You know, and they've already got a taste of this, right? And you've maybe heard this in the text all the way up through John. For Jesus, an hour is not 60 minutes, right? You see this over and over again in John 13 through 17. Your hour is coming. Like, wait, like 2 to 3 p.m. or like, you know, is that right before sun? No, it's not a literal hour, but how you experience it feels with, it comes with intensity. It's very similar to the prophets of old that would talk about the day of the Lord, which wasn't a literal 24 hours, but a period of cataclysmic change. And so when they, when they hear Jesus talking about this little while, little while, they're thinking like, what does he mean by a little while? And naturally fear sparks up because this is the language of sorrow. This is the language of pain. This is the language of grief. What does Jesus mean? And really, whenever we're asking that, when we're really... I, I think it's always so fascinating. I think most of our questions we ask are not about intellectual curiosity per se, but about heart cries that are taking shape into intellectual curiosity. I think what they're really asking is, what do you do when Jesus' little while takes too long? That's really it. You keep talking about this little while. What do we do when Jesus' little while takes too long? When you feel... Like that time has stretched you too thin, and you can't stretch anymore. Jesus, what do you mean by a little while? 
Because listen, as much as I love wrestling through the philosophy of time, and there's so much I don't know about time, and so much more I could probably learn from many of you, and there are always psychological dynamics that intersect with philosophical understandings of time, meaning like how we're experiencing life shapes how we see life. At the end of the day, when pain comes, there's only one aspect of time we're concerned with, me and mine. When you experience pain, community goes away. The understanding of history and its overarching movement goes away. It's very individual. It's my time. It's my deadlines. It's my relationships. How long, O oh Lord, here, now, my pain, right? And so we find ourselves asking, God, I've got bills. I don't know how I'm going to pay them. Are you going to be gone for a little while? How long is a little while? God, I've got this relationship that looks like it's on the precipice of its utter demise. Are you going to stretch me too thin here? How long is this going to take? God, I've got this craving, this addiction that is clawing at my soul, and I don't know if I can take it another day. How long before you bring freedom? God, I've got this diagnosis, and the doctor said he'd call me this week, and it's Monday. How long do I have to wait? Well, what Jesus is inviting us to, as we're going to come to see, is he's inviting us to come to grips with our own experience of life within time, our own experience of pain, and see it from Jesus' time frame or his frame of time. Our days, our minutes, our hours, our weeks, and actually and come to terms with them in light of eternity. And what we're going to find, and this is what really struck me, is here we're going to learn from Jesus how to bend time with the author of time. It's going to be a truly beautiful picture of what Jesus provides you and me. So if you haven't already, would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 16, verse 16. Sweet 16s today, friends. John 16, Verse 16, I'm going to pray for us, okay? Oh God, we come in this particular time, we come in this particular hour. The 90 or so minutes you've given us together this week, and God, may we delight in you now. May your word come speak words of life to the depths of our heart, the pains, the heartaches, the traumas that we continue to carry and we ask, Lord, you'd give us insight that breathes new life and joy. Only by the power of your spirit and the beauty of your word. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen, amen, and amen. Now, I'm going to read for us again verses 16 through 19. They're not going to be up on the screen. That's intentional. I want you to hear them again. The repetition. And I want you to think about what it is they're saying, okay? So verse 16, Jesus says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, so some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. <laughs> 
Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, and I just love how repetitive this is, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me. Do you hear what's happening here? All, when I'm reading this passage, all I hear is, when, 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 when. And this is really natural. When we are in pain, we want to know when pain is going to run out of time. That's it. We want to know when. It's like, hey, just tell me on the calendar. Let me know where I'm supposed to set my alarm so I can relax. Jesus, is it like January 30th, 2051? Cool. I can hold on. I just got a date. Knowing something's better than knowing nothing. Can you tell me when? But Jesus never, ever, ever, ever answers when. Even later in Acts chapter 1, Verse 7, they ask when again, and he goes, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Again, like he's resurrected at this point, and he's like, Nah, it's no when. You don't get it. And why is that? It's not that Jesus is like a masochist. It's not like, I know you really want this, but I'm not going to give it. No, <laughs> that is not who Jesus is. Instead, Jesus knows that if we knew the win, it wouldn't be the best thing for us. Why? We love control. What do we do with the clock? <laughs> the clock is a space where we can control time and also mitigate pain. It's like, oh, if I meet so-and-so, if we promise to meet right at 10 or two minutes before, if they show up two minutes later, what does that mean they're thinking about me? Even in relational spaces, when we're meeting with time, Cultures that have a high acute sensitivity to time are the most scared of pain. Just let that sink in for a second. It is an avenue of controlling what you experience. Now, don't hear that as a justification for me preaching long. I realize that that is part of this. Some of you are like, mm-hmm. I see you, pastor, you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe subconsciously there's a little bit of that. Maybe. That wasn't anywhere in my notes. That just came. Spirit convicting me in the middle of the sermon. Uh, there's a little bit of just the clock. And, and here's the other deal. The moment you know the date, the moment you know the time, you start to trust in your own capacity. Here's a little tidbit in running. If you know you have a 60-minute time trial, and somebody's like, you need to just run for 60 minutes, subconsciously, even your brain, without you even doing it, starts to now plan out, how can I conserve enough energy to run 60 minutes with my own strength? How can I maximize that now that I know the parameters? But if somebody were to just say to me, Gabe, run for a little while. Do I run hard now? Do I run soft? Do I walk? Do I sit? Do I take a break? I am trusting the person who says it's time to run, even though I don't know where the finish line is per se. It, it, it causes you to kind of be in a place of vulnerability. And even this ambiguity here is a subtle reminder that Jesus' main goal for you and me is not to just survive the pain and get through it. He wants us to become someone through the pain. This is why James says, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. You're crazy, James, right? That's because, once again, life is less 
And the time that we've been given is less just a ruler trying to get from one end to the other, but instead becoming the kind of person who can flex, becoming the kind of person who can experience pain and joys and walk through them with wholeness and peace. You see, Jesus doesn't want to give them a false sense of security or hope. He wants to cultivate and really ready them for what's about to happen. So look with me now at verse 20. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. You see, we want to know when pain will run out of time. Jesus wants us to know that pain will run out of time. Once again, I'm going to say it. We want to know when Jesus wants, to know, wants us to know that pain will run out of time. And he also wants us to know this pain's going to be real bad. Hey, this is sor- you're going to have sorrow. You're going to have grief. You're going to feel loss because you're connected with me. The world's going to celebrate that. Nidiades talked about that a couple weeks ago. The world's going to even hate you so that when you experience a sense of growth and joy, they're going to hate that. And then when you experience a sense of loss in the midst of the purposes of Christ's kingdom, they're going to celebrate that. It's going to be really hard. Like really, really hard. You are going to take up the language of the psalmist in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Lament, Jesus says, is a sign of walking with him. Not a sign of losing him or missing the mark or feeling like you failed him. Lament is a part of it. But there's something that happens to this pain that Jesus doesn't want us to miss. What does he say? This pain, this sorrow, this sense of loss, it becomes something else. It becomes joy. With Jesus, our sorrow eventually becomes something else. It becomes joy. And sure, sometimes we get just blips of it. Pleasure and, and uh, this sense of uh, ecstatic or, or happiness. And, and here's the deal. Sometimes we parse these words too much, that joy isn't happiness. What we're trying to communicate is that what God and Christ is giving us is not merely circumstantial. Not necessarily that joy doesn't have happiness. When's the last time you saw someone who had joy, but they didn't look happy? No, I'm really joyful. Mm. <laughs> Tell your face, right? Like, what's going on? No. I think sometimes that just gives us an excuse to be a cranker pants, you know? And here's the deal. Somehow joy and lament are coexist. I'm just saying, we can over-dissect these that we don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Here's the joy that this sorrow becomes. This sorrow becomes the kind of joy that no matter what happens, I know I'm enough that I'm loved, that I will belong forever, that my future, no matter how dark my present is, is sure that I'm loved exactly for where I am exactly in this moment. That even if I don't get exactly what I want, when I want, that doesn't mean I'm outside of his grip. That's joy. That when the rest of the world may look at you and say you're idiots, that you're foolish, that you're antiquated, that you have no idea of where time is actually going, you say, oh, 
I can flex, friends. And I got a joy that's deep because of who I know. And you know where Jesus goes in the midst of this? I love this. He goes to the most universal experience. Because everyone sitting in this room is here because of this. Childbirth. (laughs) You're not here. uh, You know, if you're here, you were born, right? Now, some have experienced the greater weight of that whole journey uh, and bringing other humans into this world. And what Jesus says is he goes, I want you to think about this. Think about the mother who has conceived and she begins to experience the birth pangs, those early contractions, and all the pain that begins to ravage the body. And you got to understand, even in the first century, child mortality rate was higher. The mortality rate of mothers was that much higher. The fear that came and the risk in childbirth was that much higher. And Jesus says, in the midst of all of that pain, in the midst of all of that writhing of the body, the moment the child is born and the mother gets to hold her child and look down, it makes all that pain worth it. All the pain is worth it. Every little bit of it. So much so that the joy makes the pain pale in comparison. And I've gone through this intimately with my wife, Allie. You know, you, the, the joy is so great, you forget about the pain, and then you have another one, and another one, and you forget. <laughs> uh, in some senses. <laughs> I, much more than Allie did, of course. Uh, and what Jesus is saying is like, listen, friends, the pain is hard, but it's worth it. And look at what he says here in verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one, no one, no one will take your joy from you. You see from Jesus's time frame, pain is short lived, but joy is forever. No matter your story, pain is short lived but joy is forever. And that's not meant to minimize your pain, but to maximize our beginnings of imagining how beautiful this joy is. It's not meant to say your pain is small or trivial, but this joy is huge. Don't miss this. And it's worth it. And what's also important to note, you know, in in Zen Buddhism and in some particular worldviews and religions, pain in and of itself is an illusion. Most of reality is an illusion. So how do you get past pain? You get over the illusion of pain. It's mind over matter. It's a very different framework from Christianity. Jesus never dismisses pain as an illusion or your problem. He says it is a problem. It is real, and it impacts you in real ways. But, he says, pain will come to an end. Pain is not eternal. It has a stopping point. It may stretch, and it may stretch. But listen, even with the slinky, there's a beginning and an ending, friends. It's not eternal. Pain and suffering and sorrow will come to an end. And some of you in here have been in pain for a very long time. And it has felt like it has stretched beyond its breaking point. For some of you, chronic pain 
has been the story of your life as long as you can remember, take comfort. As long as this pain has been, use that as an indicator of how extraordinary this joy will be. Look at the pain and say, this pain has felt forever. Then stop, take a breath, recognize its heartache and its intensity and say, oh, but imagine the joy then. Imagine this isn't silver lining thinking once again, but allow the pain to speak a better word. That's what Jesus does. He takes the reality of the most gut-wrenching realities of our lives and he says, even there, they're going to point you to something because of who I am and what I'm going to do. And it will come to an end. Not like an atheist, an atheist, and, and one, someone who does not believe in God believes that pain will come to an end such that when you die, all things come to an end and there's the great abyss in which we all return. To. No, 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 no. Not like that. Sorrow will give way to joy, to joy. You know what's also fascinating to me? I was doing a little bit of digging. How memories work when it comes to time. Interestingly enough, pain and especially boredom works in the complete opposite in our memory than it does in our experience. And joyous moments work in the complete opposite in our memory than they do in our experience. What do I mean? If you have a really boring week at work, how many of you have those, right? Don't raise your hand. Just kidding. Okay, Caleb. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> that was really solid. That was good. If you have a really boring week at work, what happens? You're looking at the clock. It feels like it's going on forever, right? Well, studies show, and maybe anecdotally you know this, you go back to think about that boring week, it's like that. You go back, like, what, what, was, what was in that? It was so boring. But what was it? It takes you, like, Two seconds to think of the sum total of that. It has such a short lifespan in your memory. But you have a really good holiday with family or friends, and it feels like it sprints in the moment. But you go back to remember it, and it's almost like you can talk about the memories longer than the actual experience. Isn't that wonderful the way God's designed us? That even our memories of pain have a shorter life cycle than our memories of joy. This is what God wants to communicate to you and me. This is not perchance. This is not an evolutionary byproduct. This is God at work for your good. Even in your very biology in the way the, work, the brain works. And so when we follow Jesus, we get to hold fast to the promise that pain is short-lived, but joy is forever. Even when you get to the end of the biblical narrative, what you know what's so fascinating to me is that there is just forever. <laughs> it's like right now we're all paying attention. When are the signs? When is he going to return? We're all paying attention to when things happen. But when he comes back and when finally all wrongs are made right, when even the worst of injustices become a figment of our imagination that have been forgotten in the past of forever, and we are just with him and one with him, it just says we will be. The clock goes in. A, there is no next. There just is. That's what we have when it comes to time and God and what we were designed. The true delight we will know in him. And then you begin to understand what Peter writes in one of his letters when he finally begins to grasp this 
of what Jesus is talking about. And he says, oh, with God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. What? Someone who's outside of time and yet holds all of time is orchestrating the very dynamics of our time. And one day, the pain that we experience that stretches us and stretches us, and God's making us someone to be able to even flex with that, will fade into the memory banks. And joy will be the forever story. And I hear you, because listen, I, I was thinking about this too, and it's like, Gabe, that's then. What about now? What about... <laughs> I'm going through a really rough divorce right now. Or I can't pay my bills this week. Or I've got this chronic pain that if I wake up with a migraine one more day, or I've got this diagnosis that they cannot, actually, I don't even have a diagnosis. I just have this dynamic going on in my body, and nobody can, if, if this key, what do I do now? In other words, what do I do with the time in between, Gabe? If pain is short-lived, yes, and joy is forever, what do we do in the time between? And after Jesus has another moment where the disciples clearly have no idea what Jesus is talking about, we come to verse 33 where Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, Jesus doesn't want to give anybody false comfort or false hope. This isn't like, okay, I just need to tell him a lie, just to hang, you know, give him just enough to hang on because if I can get him to last till tomorrow, we'll figure out a new strategy. No, 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 no. He's not giving any false hope. He doesn't take him out of the world. He doesn't promise he's going to take him out of their pain right away. He says the sorrow is still coming. But he does want to comfort them. And he does want them to know peace, his peace we see here that we have in him. And so what does he call us to? It's this. Face today's pain with tomorrow's joy. We're called to face today's pain with tomorrow's joy. There's this interesting language, take heart. It's kind of an idiom, a way of talking about courage, facing insurmountable odds or, or, or broken barriers. And coming, coming to this moment, he's saying, take heart. Have courage. Why? Because the world is going to be really hard. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say it's going to be super easy. Remember, he said, you're going to have sorrow. You're going to lament. It's, if you're really following me. Now, I'm saying there's a lot of people who want to hold on to Jesus' name and follow the path of the world, and they're like, life's pretty easy. What? I'm, I'm being very serious here. When you walk with Jesus, it gets real hard sometimes. You want to lament because you see injustice, and it doesn't, it's not nice and neat over there. It shakes your heart. When you follow Jesus, it comes with a level of cost, whether it be financially, relationally, or even in your works. But it comes with cost. Yes, you will know that. But take heart. Have courage. And this isn't a, like, toughen up message, as if this is something you conjure up within yourself. Instead, this is all out of the joy we've been given. It's all from Jesus himself. We've been given extraordinary joy, and that's what gives us courage. What do I mean? I think this is really fascinating to me that Jesus here in verse 33 says, I have overcome the world. If you're the disciples of the apostles at that moment, are you thinking, uh, what? 
right? You're looking around and you're thinking, you've overcome the world. You just said you're leaving. <laughs> then he dies. Oh, wait, wait, you've overcome the world? Because in my mind, even if I go from a post-resurrection or post-ascension kind of framework, I think to myself, theologically, okay, within the ruler-shaped framework of time, where do you overcome the world? You overcome sin and death on the cross. You overcome death and give affirmation to your identity and your resurrection. When you ascend to the right hand of the Father, then you have been given all authority and dominion. And then when you return and you make all things right, then you've overcome the world. But before all of that, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. You know why? Because he bends back time. The one who's over time stands in the midst of time and says the victory that has already been accomplished, I'm bringing it now. And it's happening in you. Do you hear earlier? Ask and what? Your joy will not be taken from you. The joy that I am giving you that actually is a taste of what will be in the future. It's breaking into the present. Just in the same way as my victory that's coming is breaking into this very moment I'm having a conversation with you. Jesus doesn't just look at time like this. He stands over time and then entered into it. But also in the midst of the beauty of the gospel, it also has this power to break in on itself. It's truly astounding the mystery in which we as time-bound creatures engaging in eternal God and we see this victory breaking in in an untimely way that gives us deep hope of the joy of God's finished work breaking in on our moments today. Such that when pain comes, you know what we can do? We can look at our past we can look at our future and our present in a whole new light. In the midst of pain, we can look to our past and find joy. A lot of our pasts are riddled with a whole bunch of pain, isn't it? You can look back in your past. We go to counseling to deal with our pasts, yes? Where's the joy? Keep going back. Keep going back. Now, it's important when this passage, and it's important as we read this, that this passage, what Jesus is saying and how he's encountering the disciples and the apostles here, he's actually talking about, hey, in a little while, I'm going to die and I'm going to go away. And then in a little while, I'm going to rise again. This is talking about Jesus' death and then his resurrection and their engagement with him in his resurrected body. Yes, yes, and yes. Simultaneously, though, this becomes the very framework for every follower of Jesus thereafter, where we see Jesus has ascended, and in the same way they waited after the cross, we're waiting after his ascension for him to come again. It becomes the framework for all of us who are followers of Jesus, so that now when we look in the past, we can actually find comfort that the one who went to the cross suffered excruciating pain and sorrow and died. That was not the end of his story. But three days later, he rose again. So we can look in our past, which is now our past because we are in Jesus and find comfort that if God and Christ has done that in history, he can do that in my story when we look in the past. And the very one who defeated death rose again, met with the disciples to comfort them, ascended and promised he's coming again and says that pain and sorrow is short-lived, but joy is forever. That same one, when I look into my future, I can have comfort that my sorrow is short-lived and my joy is forever. 
I have a future that looks bright. I have a past that has an anchor point of joy. And even then in the present, those break in to the now to such that I can experience what some have called a refreshment of his vibrant spirit and presence with me. You know, I was running earlier this week and wrestling through a couple of things and I was listening to Jaira and a couple other songs. And when I run in the morning, like I'm usually just cranking it out, but man, these songs, they just got me and I just felt the Lord's presence and I felt his joy and I felt his comfort, even though my body was screaming at me. And I've got like my hands up, like running down Maine where they're doing all like the streetcar construction, you know? And I'm like, yes, Lord. And then the construction worker's like, what? I was like, I mean, yes to you. High five. You know, like, but it just like, it was just in a moment, even in deep pain, even in deep questions and wrestlings just in my own life, I knew God had me. And I got joy. And I got a really good time out of it too. Like when I was just like running, no, I'm just, uh. <laughs> So when we come to face today's troubles with tomorrow's joy, we can look in our past and find joy. We can look in our future and find joy. And yes, there are moments of deep refreshment where that joy breaks in and we feel it. But when you don't, look in the past because then we have an anchor point there. And when you don't, hold on to the promises of the future because we have an anchor point there. Joy, it's just breaking in from like all the different angles. It doesn't fit so nice and neat. Why? Because he's overcome the world. In the end, and it's breaking into the present. And we get to be a part of that. And so we can face our pain and our suffering today with our past and present and future in a dynamic way. It reminds me of what Howard Thurman shared when he was sharing about a friend of his. It was a mentor of his um, in Atlanta, Georgia, earlier in the 20th century, and both of his legs were amputated. He was a professor. He used to have a pretty active life, but then he was anchored at home after both of his legs were amputated. And the strangest thing happened. Students, old students, new students, and faculty came from all over the nation to go to his house. Why? Howard Thurman says, to get their joy restored by him. By him. Now, what was it about him? Thurman says, he has taken this dimension of hazard and he has torn it open. To reveal at the heart of it, there is a creative power that enables him to not only endure what he's gone through, but to find how to use this thing as an updraft so that because of it, he soars in regions that were not open to him before. When tomorrow's joy breaks into today's troubles, when the rest of the world says, you have every right to just write your life off, suddenly that becomes the crucible for unexplainable joy, breaking in from the future into the present, and people say, I want that. And that's who we're called to be. These crucibles for unexplainable joy that simultaneously coexist with lament at times. Even in his short-lived pain, tomorrow's joy was growing. And I think this is what the prophet Isaiah had in mind when he was saying in Isaiah 40, verse 31, that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. <laughs> they will run and not grow weary. 
and they will walk. They will walk. Hmm. You see, we want to know when pain will run out of time. But Jesus says, trust me, it will. It will. And this pain you experience, it breaks my heart too, but it's short-lived. It won't be forever. It will come to an end. And the joy I have for you, that, that when everything is finally finished and fully realized, it's breaking in now. Let it saturate you. Let it cause an updraft in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering. It is available. This isn't a pipe dream, and it's not meant to make you feel guilty. This is an opportunity. Oh, that it would lift us up. And instead of asking, what do we do when it takes a little too long? We say it's going to take just the right amount of time. And we'll flex with wherever you take us. Let's pray. God, renew our strength by the power of your spirit. God, we clamor for control so much. We are so addicted to self-reliance. We are so driven to trust ourselves. We're so afraid to trust you for fear that you won't carry us or that you can't carry us or that you don't want to carry us. Help us to really trust that you love us, that you have all power, that you have time in your hands, and that you'll carry us through. Give us an infusion of joy that is even beyond ways that we can comprehend or explain, and so become the crucibles of joy for those around us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.